Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Sensibly Loud Radio. Uh, this is Brandon B. Easy, and I'm joined by Mountain Carl. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, enjoying the, well, enjoying what's left of summer. I guess, I don't know if I'm really enjoying it, unless I'm a masochist and I love 100-plus uh, degree weather, but uh, definitely Maybe. looking forward to the yeah. fall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually got to enjoy some pretty good weather. Uh, mountain Mountain Girlfriend and I went to a italian car show last weekend which was pretty sweet yeah very cool and uh then uh unfortunately when we got home mountain dog uh decided that he was not feeling too good and uh we took him to the vet and we found out that he has very 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 bad hip dysplasia Mm. so that's unfortunate uh we're looking at some options right now as far to as far as how to get him get him going again but uh any of our listeners have any kind of information on what they've done in the past as far as dog hip dysplasia goes and the best treatments for it that they've seen. Um, I know this is kind of out of left field, but if uh, you'd like to, please call us at 972-885-9361 and uh, maybe, maybe drop me a line. See if uh, you've had any success with surgery or anything like that. We're, we're doing a lot at the mountain household to get mountain dog back on it. And, uh, hopefully that will be, that will be happening sooner rather than later. Yeah, let's hope so. And, you know, we're all one happy community here, uh, and as well as our listeners. So we want everybody to feel like family. So yeah, if you have any experience with hip dysplasia or know anybody, um, or if you're even a doctor, yeah, definitely feel free to call us in and, and drop us a line. Yeah. Yeah, really would appreciate that. Um, but we're going to get it taken care of regardless. We're, uh, we're optimistic. So anyway, uh, yeah, so, uh, we've got a lot going on right now. We had a lot going on with Justin stopping by and kind of tipping his hat on the way out the door to, to go to bigger and better things with the company. And, uh, one of the things that caught my eye when we were actually discussing last week was the litany of directors that were getting in line to say no to motion smoothing. Do you know what motion smoothing is, Be Easy? Yeah, so I, I think it was about a decade ago or so. I, you know, a lot of TV started coming out with uh, 120 hertz refresh rate and 240 hertz refresh rate and all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember being at one of my friend's houses watching 24 when that was going on and just seeing everything just in hyperspeed in terms of frame rate. And it, it just looked weird. Like everything's just going really, really fast and kind of looked like that 
sort of uh, what soap operas look like, where everything's just moving almost faster than what you see in normal life. And, uh, you know, it's just so that that always kind of bothered me in seeing what other people are having their TV settings. And it's just too distracting for me. You know, it's like, I don't know about you, but I'm all about seeing the media source, the way that the director intended on it, on, you know, displaying it and what the hardware and the frame rate capture and all that, you know, and as well as the, you know, the, the darkness, the black levels, all that stuff. Uh, and what a lot of these TVs are coming out with now, and it's just like now you have HDR 10 plus and everything else. And so, you know, some people don't know, uh, that, you know, for me, I always turn off that stuff, you know, uh, overdriving, whatever your refresh rate is on the TV and all that. So I feel like that, you know, this is going to be a good thing with the, uh, filmmaker Mo TV settings, but, uh, yeah, there's some directors involved. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about like what directors are involved and exactly what is this, uh, filmmaker mode designed to do? Right. So you're, you nailed it on the head. Obviously there are a lot of people out there that want to watch the film as it's intended to be watched. Uh, so the directors that are involved here that agree with you are Rian Johnson. Uh, you may have heard of him, Christopher Nolan, and, uh, of course, Martin Scorsese. Uh, those are just a few. There's a lot more, but those are probably the heaviest of hitters that are on board with this idea of creating a quote unquote filmmaker mode. And, um, I guess, this all goes back, obviously, as far as you were talking about to the 120, you know, Hertz refresh rate days and, uh, our frame rate days and stuff like that. And I'm making sure that we have our different companies that are coming up with their proprietary ways of motion smoothing. And some will speed up frames. Some will actually do interstitial frames. Um, everybody's got kind of their own secret sauce and how they do it. Uh, when, when I bought my TV, which is actually quite a while now ago. Um, it was a big screen and it was probably the last dumb TV out there. Now everything <laughs> is smart, right? Right. So uh, when I had a 120 hertz refresh rate, um, it was kind of groundbreaking. And, and at the time, you know, when you're talking about this kind of stuff, you have LCD screens and, and the war was between LCD and plasma. That shows how long ago this really was. And um and LCD had its shortcomings, obviously. Um, you had things like view angle issues, and you had uh, screen jutter when you had things like text rolling across the mm -hmm. bottom of the screen or maybe live sports that were recorded uh, in a way that didn't lend itself well ghosting to issues. an LCD. Yeah, ghosting, uh, LCD refresh rates not really keeping up with it, juddering. Um, so in order to combat this, obviously, at the time, the answer was to either uh, truly or artificially create a faster refresh rate and and to do uh, interstitial frames. And like I said, everybody's got their own secret sauce to get there. So what the, um, the companies have really done is they've really glommed on to this whole idea that, you know, there shall be no ghosting. There shall be no motion blur. And... Uh, what they've done is they've really come out with these TVs out of the box that, you know, the, these UHD TVs that are ready to go with this motion smoothing on. And I think a lot of people are watching movies on this that are not more technologically inclined and they're not able to turn this stuff off for one reason or another. Not because it's not available, but 
obviously because maybe they're not educated on how to do that. And so you have a very large amount of the populace out there sitting with motion smoothing on as a default setting and your movies and TV are coming in and they're looking like what you said, a soap opera effect. And anybody who has seen motion smoothing back to back to back with non-motion smoothing will immediately pick up on what we're talking about. If you've only seen motion smoothing since you've had your TV, then you will have no idea what we're talking about because you'll probably think to yourself that this is the latest technology and this is how TV was always meant to be watched. And really, if you're not talking about live sports or potentially maybe live shot news programs, you're, you're not on the right path. Mm -hmm. You really need to be going with a, uh, unless it's a Blu-ray that's a true 120 rehertz rate refresh and your player is capable of handling that in the truest sense, and your TV is geared towards handling that in the truest sense, what you're going to end up getting is kind of a, uh, a really sped up looking, the words don't really match with the way the mouth is working, and it's always going to sound very strange or look very strange to you. So what they are doing, these directors, uh, is they're coalescing and creating this filmmaker mode, which in essence is going to bring everything back down in frame rate and, and motion smoothing so that you get exactly how you wanted to, they want you to see the film and that's going, they want that to be the default setting. I don't know if they're going to win that battle, but a filmmaker mode should with participating companies be coming out here shortly. And the idea, of course, is that however they wanted you to see that in its most native form is going to be making it to your, your home theater. Lorraine um, Johnston has gone on to say that we're kind of in the golden age of home cinema. Uh, I'm not going to argue with him. I think that the amount of settings that we have and uh, just the, the sheer amount of technology that's being pumped out now has eclipsed anything that we'd ever thought was possible back in the 90s. And... Uh, you know, I mean, hell, it'll make a, it'll make your beta max, max look good. So I, uh, I really, I think it's a good push. Um, you know, like I said, for people who are, are not very educated on it or maybe have uh, seen this from the get go, they are probably thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about? My TV's fine. Um, I encourage you to go into your settings and see if you can find motion smoothing assuming that you can get back to that point and undo it if you don't like it and, uh, and try it without it. Um, a lot of, a lot of the TVs and a lot of the UHD stuff, they already have tricks to kind of handle the ghosting and the blurring that we've seen in the past. You don't necessarily need to go overdrive on it and, you know, go full motion blur and, or I'm sorry, uh, motion smooth and you don't need to drive everything to its peak performance as according to the TV's requirements. You're usually going to get a very good picture that can handle motion very well without any of the bells and whistles. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at on that. And that's kind of where the directors are. And I think we're all in agreement here that if we want to watch the movies and TV exactly how they were when they were filmed, created, meant to be watched that say no to motion smoothing. <laughs> So uh, this filmmaker mode TV thing, uh, isn't it only for this is all being discussed and, and being brought up as an option to enable on Netflix, right? So 
I think initially they were just trying to get anywhere they could as far as emotion smoothing is concerned. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was only uh, for Netflix, but maybe I read that wrong. I think right now they're actually discussing it with TV manufacturers. I think what oh, they okay. really want to do is get down to the point where when they you buy a TV off the shelf and you plug it in, mm-hmm. it has none of the motion smoothing turned on. Gotcha. And I can tell you that back in the day when I bought my TV, it didn't have any of that turned on. I had to go in and I had to turn on the 120 hertz and I had to turn on the you know the high-end motion smoothing and everything like that. And I immediately said, what the fuck? What is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was typically always put on like eco mode uh, out of the box. And so the screen would dim, you know, for certain commercials and stuff like that. But I feel like the the default settings gotten better on TVs over time, but yeah, they definitely, I'm definitely a a proponent for something like this. I I would like to have something like that to where I could just sort of enable that because that's the first thing I do. um, If I were to get a new TV would go and find that uh, the motion smoothing and turn that off. Right. And, uh, and as an engineer, I'm not unaccustomed to people asking, you know, engineering questions. How can we do this? How can we do that? And a lot of it be outlandish, but this is not an outlandish request. This is adding a preset that, you know, allows certain things to be turned on and turned off that are already existing within the TV. And there are already actually options as far as what can be turned on and what can be turned off. So, you're not asking them to go out of their way to really like do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're, they don't have to reprogram the entire TV and, and everything. Uh, it's all going to be done software side and, uh, and I know they can do it. So I'm a big proponent of it. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to see it go that way, especially if I'm going to be buying a new TV soon. Uh, Cause the, the UHD thing has certainly piqued my interest. Um, you know, I've been the bitter guy that's like, well, your eyes can't see better than 720. And then, of course, that's that's also bullshit. Like, I mean, it's that might be true, but I mean, pixel density is a thing. So, I mean, depending on how they fit those pixels together and what geom- geometric shape those pixels are, you know, I mean, your your eye is going to pick up on it. I mean, there's a reason they've gone this far. Yeah, especially once you reach a certain resolution, but it's also the size of the screen. That's what I've learned in, in my research anyways when it comes to the difference of noticing uh, 1080p versus 4K. You know, like, yeah, you can get a cheap-ass TV from Walmart that's, you know, like a 40-inch or something, but you you might not really tell a difference until you reach like 60 or 65 inches. Uh, yeah. and then comparing the two sources. So I'm definitely interested to see what you end up uh, getting. And as you're going along the uh, investigative journey of, of which type of uh, brand you should get, uh, as well as what size. Yeah, I definitely want to be uh, definitely want to talk about that before you uh, fire the trigger. So that way I kind of like, I don't know, that would give uh, me and our listeners sort of like, a, I'm sure a lot of people have been kind of thinking like, oh, these 4K TVs are getting pretty cheap. What what should I go with? So definitely interested to see what's out there. Um, but uh, yeah. That's no joke. They are cheap now. I right. mean, like that is, that is, I mean, if you're going underneath 50 inches, like that, that is really, really affordable these days. I mean, and if you're looking at that price tag and you're saying mountain car, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say that compare that to the, you know, prices 10 years ago, 
mm-hmm. you know, even adjusting for inflation, that is insane, the amount that they have dropped. So they may not be what you would call affordable now, mm-hmm. but they are certainly more attainable than what they were in the past. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, but yeah, uh, so what else has been going on? Um, well, we've got uh, we've got some movie news, obviously. You went and you saw It Chapter 2. I want to hear about what you thought about that. Yeah, so I couldn't get anybody to go with me, so I went by myself, which usually happens for horror movies. I don't know what it is. Um, Do we have like, a violin we can play for you? <laughs> like, no, no I, I usually myself. Yeah, I'm I'm totally good going to a horror film by myself. I don't, you know, it takes a lot to really get me feeling uncomfortable uh, with a horror movie. Uh, I would say Mandy was probably the last one that really kind of got a little under my skin, but it was enjoyable, you know. Uh, so I went and uh, checked this out. It Chapter 2, you know, I, I was a really big fan of It Chapter 1. I have not read the book, uh, which is massive. Uh, and I have certain friends who have. And so they were a huge fan of the original, you know, uh, made-for-TV film. Uh, and I would say It Chapter 1, what I really liked about it is it had sort of like a stand-by-me-esque type of vibe to it where the kids are bonding together and you got – the town bully who is, you know, he's got some really deep seated issues and kind of reminded me of stand by me, but you know, which is also uh, a story that was written by Stephen King. If people didn't know that. Uh, so, you know, it's definitely got that vibe to it. And I felt like there were a lot more scares in the first film. Uh, it chapter two, I thought the casting was really well done in terms of taking each of these uh, these kids and who the child actors were and try to find their adult, uh, you know, uh, contemporaries. And I felt like the of all the people that were cast, uh, I think Bill Hader probably stole the, the show uh, for a lot of it. Uh, it's you, you come to find out like where they they're you know, where they're at in life, uh, 20 something years later. And a lot of them are pretty successful, have pretty well good jobs and they've totally left Derry behind and they've forgotten a lot of the events. And that kind of is what happens when you leave Derry, you forget about things until you come back and then it all kind of comes back to you. Uh, but they made an oath at the end of it that if the clown were to come back or certain things start happening again that they they all made a vow that they promised they'd come back and defeat the clown once and for all or, or you know try to prevent it from happening again uh, because they found out in the first one going back through all the the historical um, stuff in the library and everything that it seemed to have been a pattern every 20 something years and so sure enough it starts happening again uh, I believe his name was Mike um, the uh, kid, the uh, African American friend, he never left Derry, so he stayed there, and he was constantly listening to police scanners. Something happens, and so he's decided, okay, I need to call the gang back. And you know, there there's certain sort of uh, plot holes here that maybe it's more explained in the book, but somehow or another, he happens to have all of their latest up to date cell numbers and calls them, and they're like, "Who's this?" <laughs> So I'm like, okay, well, how do they have their up to, how does he have the up-to-date cell numbers unless he kept in touch with them or he has a really, really good sleuth, you know, private eye that I don't know. So, but I kind of ignored that pothole and just kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, he's contacting them. And, and it's funny because Bill Hader's character, you know, you see him as a kid and he's the one who's always like making these raunchy jokes and stuff. So you see him flash forward and his job is he's a stand-up comedian. I'm like, well, that's perfect because 
Bill Hader is a, you know, one of the funniest comedians alive. And so I thought, uh, that was all well done with the cast, uh, that, and also the director, uh, did a really good job on it. Uh, same director as the first one. Uh, so it flowed really well, but I kind of feel like it flowed better in the first one. I mean, yeah, you, you kind of still have the same sense where it jumps from character to character to see what's going on. So uh, I think her name was Beverly, the um, the girl of the group, you know, and sort of the um, abuse that she withstood from her father and how, you know, she ends up getting away from that. You kind of see that some of these characters, there's this sort of a cyclical thing where, you know, they're kind of attached to their past. And so she ends up you find that she's married to a, a guy who's an abusive husband, you know, it's kind of like, Oh man. And so that's kind of a letdown where you're kind of like, you know, you would have thought that surely she would have grown up and, you know, gotten away from that sort of behavior. But, you know, so you kind of see where some of the kids have kind of stuck to what they knew growing up. Uh, but getting back together and everything was, was really cool to see and how they decided to take on the challenges of it. Uh, but, the problem with it is it felt a little disjointed here at times and, you know, kind of jumping back and forth and a lot of flashback scenes that I don't know if they were exactly necessary. And it's interesting because I read that um, after I saw the movie that some of those flashback scenes, I was like, well, when did they film this? Because some of those kids like Wolf Finhard, who is also on Stranger Things, he's now like he's shot up. He's like really, really tall now. Uh, he's yeah, gone through puberty things we were all like what the hell yeah. like they all they, they all jumped like five years of growth in one year yeah which so. you know we we kind of did that too uh between you know pre-teen ages up until you know teenage years and so right yeah so he's much taller and then it's like you go back to see what he looks like in the first one he's like a little kid you know he looks like he's 10 so i was like you know did they film these scenes and come to find out they basically just sort of um film these scenes during the filming of it chapter two and did a, a lot of de-aging sort of process. So I thought right. the de-aging was pretty good. I know some other uh, friends of mine saw it, said it was a little too jarring and distracting, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, maybe I just wasn't looking close enough, but, uh, but you know, again, it's just too many flashback scenes. Um, some of it kind of like fills in more of the uh, blanks that were in the first one, especially about like Mike's past and what happened um, and why he saw what he saw with the meat locker and the hands coming out. And so that gets explained a little bit more and that was really good to know, but you know, it kind of went into this other direction um, that I didn't think they would go into and thought that was like, okay, well they tried that, you know, and I guess that was okay. I, but overall, you know, the, it's not as scary. I, I feel like the that uh, Pennywise isn't really featured too much compared to the first one. A lot of people were kind of complaining that he's out in the open and he's walking around and, it, you know, he's not like hiding in the shadows like he did in the first. And he's still hiding in the shadows. I mean, there there's a few times where, yeah, he is out in broad daylight, but it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, there he is. You know, it's there, there's still some um, uh, jarring sensibilities to his appearances and, and everything that's going on. So I, I could definitely see, you know, just like with, you know, the conjuring, which spun off Annabelle and all, you know, I, I could definitely see where they'll probably come out with a, a prequel of showing the beginnings of Pennywise before he, you know, came to be. And I'd be on board with that. Cause I feel like uh Scarsgard is 
you know, he definitely shined in this one too, in terms of his acting abilities as Pennywise. So overall, I'd, I'd give this movie probably, I'd probably give it a, a B minus to a B somewhere in that range. I felt like it could have been done a little bit better and, and also it was really long. It's about two hours and 45 minutes, give or take. Uh, mm-hmm. and I try not to, uh, get too many beverages during the, the time frame, but man, I was like dying by the time, you know, the, the credits roll, I was just kind of like, okay, let's end it already. You know? Uh, so I felt like they probably could have shaved off 10 to 15 minutes of it. Uh, but yeah, overall still really, really good. I'm going to ask the hard hitting questions that everybody in our audience is wanting to ask. Uh, one was, uh, Isaiah Mustafa ever pushing old spice during this movie. <laughs> no, not at all. Was James McAvoy ever bald? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm not. I'm out of questions. And McAvoy does a really good job in this. Um, I yeah. believe it. I mean, he's a good actor. Yeah. Um, he, he's never really like blown my socks off, except for maybe some of his M Night Shyamalan work, where he was just like having to be literally everyone. Mm-hmm. But, um. Yeah, I've always been pretty pleased with his stuff. How does Isaiah Mustafa do? Oh, yeah, he does really, really well in it. Um, I wouldn't say he, again, I, I think Bill Hader was kind of the the one who kind of stole the he spotlight stole the yeah. for a lot of people. But Jessica Chastain does a really good job in it, too, um, as Beverly. And, you know, there's one scene where she's swimming in, like, a ton of blood. And, uh, yeah, that looked like that probably wasn't the easiest thing to do when they were filming it <laughs> swimming in a, in a ton of blood as one does right so yeah the the b giving it a b is pretty for a horror movie that's pretty much where a good horror movie lives it's not like blow your socks off but i mean it, it's hard to always eclipse that b level of performance not b movie i'm talking about you know a through d f whatever of a rating, you know, that you would give it, um, you know, if you have a good horror movie, I'd say it solidly lives in the B B plus category. Um, there are a few out there that really eclipse that and, and go to a, but it's not, it's not as easy for a horror movie to jump all the way up to the top, you know, and, and be like really recognized as like a good movie on its own merits. Uh, I think, I mean, it, there are, there are exceptions, obviously, but yeah, uh, in general, I mean, would you would you agree with that take? Yeah, I agree. And kind of comparing like the rating I gave the first it, uh, I for that I, I gave it an A minus, and I still stand by that. Uh, right. So yeah, it's it just slightly edges out. But yeah, I, I do agree. Like to get to a, a B rating, especially especially for me because I'm so meticulous on what I look for with horror films and I don't want it to be just another one-off slasher flick. I want it to have meaning and depth and character development's a big key thing as well because if you don't give a, a shit about the characters then it's kind of like yeah go ahead and kill them like that one's annoying you know so that's kind of always been the problems with uh, slasher films but I feel like horror movies uh, as a whole over this past decade and even especially the last five years have gotten really really smart about you know, okay, let's, let's veer more towards like what's psychologically, uh, frightening and how to really build up the character development as opposed to cat jumping out of the closet and, you know, the jump scares. Yeah. I think they want to, I think they want a bit of that, uh, award season, you know, action. I think that, uh, 
a good director being brought in on a good script for a good horror movie is is not something that you get a lot of outside of potential i mean i won't call them cash grabs but i think that a lot of a lot of companies go to horror movies because they're consistent performers for being a lower budget and uh when you talk about a movie like it that already had a lot of cred behind it you know and you have you have good script writing and i mean typically good script writing obviously the flashback thing is a little concerning but the uh you're able to book as many good actors as you have it's not a scream queen level of you know horror movie you're you're really starting to talk about bringing in heavy hitters i think that i think they want some of that award season you know i think they want to they want to get something for this and if it's a good enough script they can do it but yeah yeah well yeah, most definitely. And, and you know, it's like my favorite time of the year is coming up in October. And I plan on, you know, going through like I did last year. I think I just about every weekend I or every other night I would watch some, you know, classic horror films. And so I'm definitely going to be getting into that mood again, especially probably before October, probably like the end of uh, this month. Uh, hell, I mean, just last weekend I stopped by a Bed Bath & Beyond and bought four gigantic candles of false scented stuff. So I I'm, I'm all on board for that. So yeah, I definitely want to know what your take is going to be for, uh, it chapter two when you finally get around to it. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, there's going to be some, some other stuff coming out. Like we have like the lighthouse coming out, uh, end of October, definitely excited for that. It looks like a very good psychological thriller, there's going to be some other stuff. So, yeah, we definitely need to start planning uh, movies to go to together and then kind of have uh, our, our takes on it uh, for some of the upcoming episodes. But, but yeah, uh, there, there's been some other stuff going on as well uh, in terms of uh, movie news. I know that there's been some reshoot announcements made. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um, again, we, we always take this with a grain of salt. Reshoots do not a bad movie make. Um, they... Uh, they happen a lot. What's, what's concerning is when you hear that something's going through major reshoots, which is usually something that, you know, major is something people really reserve for uh, shits hit the fan. And, you know, we need to go back because the test audience uh, crapped all over it um, or the studio saw it and wanted to pull their hair out. Uh, neither of those scenarios necessarily make those things a bad movies. I also want to point that out. If you have a test audience that is really not geared toward the movie, you know, with the demographics that you're going for and the actual audience that you're shooting for, and then you get a bad response, that is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you have a bunch of people that are putting the money into the film that are the same make, and they don't have the idea that keeping their hands off of a product is the best way to go, um, you can run into this situation as well. So it's very hard to really figure out exactly what's going on but there are two big blockbusters that are coming out that have uh kind of suffered from this and uh one of them we've already talked about quite a bit and that's birds of prey um that's a you know it is what it is um at this point i i don't have high expectations for it which of course when i say that means that i i have the potential for it to really surprise me and change my mind they did get the uh a uh person from i can't remember their name now um i can't remember if this is a director or not but it was from uh, john wick three who actually came in and did a lot of the fight scenes and stuff like that and they reshot a lot of it and when i hear that kind of stuff i'm like okay you can have a great movie 
and have horrible fight choreography. That is, that is something that happens quite a bit, unfortunately. But when you told me that you're going through major reshoots right now, and it's after things have tested fairly well with the target demographic, then I, I get to worry. Um, the other thing, of course, is that Star Wars is going through major re major reshoots, and uh, I don't know how to read into that yet. It's just a fact, and I can't really expand upon that other than to say that um, this isn't the first time I've heard that from a Star Wars film in this generation of trilogy. And uh, I will be honest, I've been less than impressed with the past three or the past two main uh, films in like the, you know, number seven and eight. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm kind of I'm so I'm so far on the outside looking in on this one that it's it's hard for me to really think to myself, damn, you know, like what could they be doing to make this a really great movie as opposed to how are they going to screw this up? Um, yeah. That's uh, they've kind of pushed, they, they kind of pushed me over the edge on the last one. So uh, they're, they're going to have to really uh, bring it all together to, to make me buy into it. Um, but that is what it is. I mean, is there really anything else we can say other than the fact that, you know, don't hold your breath on these two because we have no idea what's about to happen. Yeah, uh, I I agree. It's just because these two are both well, especially Star Wars is a beloved property, and with the Last Jedi, the second one that came out, it was audiences were very kind of split. Well, I I believe um, I think at first a lot of people really liked it, but then they became split because the conversation started happening post watching the movie, and uh, you know, it made people kind of indifferent to it. I know I'm a little indifferent. I liked parts of it and aspects of it. And then I really hated other aspects of it. Um, so it kind of felt like they were just trying to do certain things to make it, you know, relevant to what's going on in today's society and today's world and, and doing certain things, justice and honor. And, you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, do you really want to focus on, do you really want to have like a political agenda and try to get and cram everything in along with the star Wars story? Or do you just want to do your star Wars story? Uh, but that's that's kind of what we've talked about in the past with having too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, so whether it's WB with Birds of Prey or the studio that's, you know, with Disney um, working on Star Wars and, and everything. So, yeah, it's uh, I know it's going through major reshoots, but at the same time, this is the third and what's supposed to be the end of this chapter of this trilogy. Uh, I know that Ryan Johnson's going to do the next film to start the next trilogy, which is not going to be related at all with Skywalker. And it's going to be brand new characters and go into its own thing. And hopefully it'll be something kind of like what we're hoping for with Mandalorian, where we're getting into more serious stuff and we're not getting into, you know, the, <laughs> the crazy stuff that was in the last film. And I feel like Disney kind of gets away with that too much. I mean, look at Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and how, ridiculous that was with Shia both swinging through trees and monkeys you know it kind of had that sort of feel to it uh with the, with the last Star Wars and so you know I think they're taking their time especially with JJ there uh so obviously having some initial test screenings you know and having to do major reshoots I mean it's kind of a given at this point because they really 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 want to make it make this right and if that means that they have to extend the release date and delay it further down the road then I'm okay with that 
as long as it's not botched up. So we'll see what happens there. But I forgot to mention uh, Birds of Prey. They there was a uh, sort of a uh, probably like a forty to sixty second teaser trailer that was attached before it chapter two. And yeah, I saw that. Yeah, was uh, was pretty interesting. They it's they don't show too much, but they just show a lot of the girls kicking ass. So I'm interested to see how the rest of it goes. You know, it, it could have been one of those situations where, you know, they, they did the test screening of it and maybe there wasn't enough action or there were some good scenes and they it might have been a good setup point for a, a greater action scene. So I know that that's probably why uh, the John Wick choreographer was brought in. But, yeah, for major reshoots, again, you know, I, I guess they're just trying to get this thing just right for audiences and, you know... I, I don't know. Hopefully that's not a, a bad indicator to how things might go and that it's just totally horribly botched up. So I don't know. I, I really want both of these to be successful, you know. Um, but, yeah, when you do get these major reshoot type of news items, you it's it's very difficult to kind of like can continue to have faith that, you know, this is going to be better uh, than what's expected. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of the, the stuff with, let's say, the last uh, David Ayer Suicide Squad. Um, I think that when the studio goes in and they sit in, in the movie and they watch this thing play itself out, what probably happened was they had a trailer in their mind or their mind's eye about this movie and how it was all about kicking ass and taking names and how it was going to be dark and gritty. And then what pro I mean, what my understanding was is the first cut of the David Ayer Suicide Squad was that it was very much more of a well, I mean, I, I'm not gonna go call it a thought piece here. It's a comic book movie, but for the most part, I think it was actually supposed to rely heavily more heavily on acting and and have more of a a story involved in it, you know, as opposed to just, you know, another group of people beating up on a Muppet. And uh I think that the biggest issue that we get into here. And I mean, I know that I said that I enjoyed the, the birds of prey teaser and everything, but really when we get down to it, it was a pretty fast cut of a bunch of small scenes. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I had to guess we're in the situation now where we're going to start putting out stuff like that, that probably means that they want people to be responding to the hype because they probably need some kind of windsock out there to tell them which direction to take this. I think they're, uh, I think they're probably pretty lost on this right now. Uh, I can't speak to star Wars, but I, I think that a lot of what happens is that you get a trailer out that people want to see, or you get product or produce people who are producing these films that create trailers of, let's say a movie that they want to make as opposed to the movie that was actually made. And then that's where you get the weird disjointed crap where you walk into a movie and you thought it was going to be a comedy. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite examples is this is 40 yeah. um, with, with Paul Rudd and uh, you know, when they, when that trailer came out, man, it looked hilarious. And, uh, and it looked like a really funny movie and it, and it was a great spot. And then you go into the movie expecting to laugh your ass off and the whole thing is just like this miserable character piece about how people like were once in their prime and are now starting to slip and you're like what the fuck was this movie about <laughs> yeah and i think that uh another one that another one that i like to toss out there is like harriet the spy 
like <laughs> way way back in the day Holy right when shit, you were man. when you were a kid no, I know. Oh, I, I know. saw that in I theater, know. and what was that? Ninety three, ninety four. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, if you watch the trailer for that movie, it's like Harry the spy is going to go investigate the blah blah blah, and then it was like no big deal. It was very mindless and exactly what you wanted from a kid movie in the nineties. And then when you got there, it was like, uh, it was it was like trying to be like all this like everything is so real and like this character study about Harriet and what are her motivations and everything like that. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this movie? Give me another like, you know, uh, I don't know, Michael Jackson with Joe Pesci, you know, with the um, guy not Moonraker, what the hell, Moonwalker, right? Yeah. You know, give me another one of those, like just mindless popcorn crap. With I mean, like I was in, it was in the nineties and I was a kid. I didn't need to know the motivations of Harriet the Spy. Right. I didn't need to sit there and like cry about how awful her life was and how her friends left her. It was just it was so freaking weird. And and it's the same kind of crap where you've got like a disjointed trailer or teaser on one corner, and then you've got what people think they're going to get or what the actual. Uh, the actual studio wants you to believe mm-hmm. that you're going to get. And then you've got the movie that was not like that at all has nothing to do with a trailer. And, and I really am starting to get that feeling with birds of prey that what the studio wants is a high octane action film. That's all about girls kicking ass. Mm-hmm. And then what the actual movie was supposed to be was probably a much deeper character study, weird introspective thing about like what are the mo- more the motivations of the you know Ewan McGregor as a black mask what are the motivations of you know Huntress and Harley Quinn and, and Black Canary like what are what are these things actually supposed to be about who's the good guy who's the bad guy we're not we're, we may get that film but everybody's gonna freaking hate it because they walked in there thinking it was all about the ass kicking right you know or it was supposed to be about those kinds of things, but it was recut and reshot at the last moment to turn into an ass kicking film. That was really just below par. Right. So, uh, I think that happens a lot with these kinds of movies. Um, and I know I threw out some two examples out there, but this is not, this is not kind of like a weird microcosm. Like this is very much the very, the very, uh, peak of studio interaction with, these films and, and how they're getting made and what ends up happening and what hits the editing floor and, and what gets pushed out to the consumer. So expectations are not going to meet reality uh, for this film. And that may make it a good film or a bad film, but nobody's going to know what to exactly expect when they walk into the theater. Yeah. It really is an interesting dichotomy uh, between what is shown in a trailer and the marketing and, and the theme and, you know, what, what the, the picture company wants audiences to think that the film is going to be and then going into it. So it's, it's a really interesting dichotomy looking at like, okay, this is going to be a serious film or, okay, this is going to be like an hyper overdrive film, uh, versus some of the other trailers that are out there. Like, uh, for example, Christopher Nolan films, you know, like I, I touched upon, uh, the one that's coming out for him, uh, Tenet, and you don't really know what it's about when you see like the brief teaser. And, you know, for all of his films are kind of like that where they're a little bit ominous and it's so much so that the director has star power to get people and get butts and seats to see his film no matter what. And same thing goes with star power with, uh, so for Harley Quinn, you know, and Margot Robbie, people are going to go see it no matter what. So it really doesn't matter what the trailers are going to be. So, 
you know, I know that they're going to come out with the full length trailer and it's going to explain some of the story, but I hope they kind of shy away too much about what the story is and just show the tone of the movie. You know, like Joker's a good, a really good uh, example in terms of showing tone and having that taxi driver versus uh, King of Comedy and all this, you know, meets this and that and and Scorsese and kind of, you know what the tone is, you know that it's going to be serious, you know it's going to be crazy, you know it's going to be intense. So, uh, yeah, it, it's real interesting how marketing is these days. I feel like it's definitely better than what you touched upon with Harriet the Spy in the 90s, where it's like, meet Harriet, and she's doing yeah. this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know. And, and the over the overlaid exposition. <laughs> the and over like, the top. You know, so, yeah, the, uh, I mean, there is. That voiceover good- actor, he's probably rich as hell right now, just floating in his pool, you know. Well, are you optimistic? Good Lord, rich as hell. Yeah, I think that I think that guy is living in a cardboard box somewhere underneath the overpass. I don't know. He did. But, uh, he did twenty years. You know, two decades of doing that kind of stuff, and you know, he's not he really is. in need anymore. So, you know, I'm sure he's right. he's living life he's just in a, fine. He's in an efficiency apartment. I gave him. I didn't give him enough credit, but yeah. he's. Uh, <laughs> no, he's. Yeah, I, the one one good thing that I remember from Nickelodeon movies, and that's the only good thing, uh, was that they came with orange VHSs. Oh yeah. So, so that is uh, for all you all you nostalgia kids back there in the '90s who are really banking on on me remembering that small fact. There you go. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Freaking where where the marketing happens with a trailer, you can cut a trailer a lot of different ways. The uh, the the two that come to mind right now are tonally like what you're talking about with the Joker, but of course you can get away with that with properties like the Joker because everybody knows what the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, I think a lot of the issues that you run into, especially with comedies, is people don't know what these comedies are about because they're fresh, you know, products. Even if they're re- recycled crap, you know, they are. There, I mean, like, uh, let's see, what's a good example? Um, role models, another Paul Rudd. Yep. Right. When you watch that trailer, uh, if you just looked at the word role models, right, would you really know what that was about? And and the and the answer is like, I mean, I guess at like a very top down level, you know that there are people who are either going to be ironically or non iron unironically role models involved in the film, but you don't know anything about it itself. Right the plot and everything. So you're going to get a lot more exposition in the trailer, a lot more cuts that kind of establish like what they're going for. And that's a really fine line. You know, it's definitely something that you're trying to dance uh, on the head of a pin. Do I have enough information here to bring people in without giving away the entire movie? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, And I think that you really don't have to worry about that. Thank God with properties like Joker and that kind of thing, because it's, literally something that's been around since forever and if once you see the word joker you've got one of like two different ways you could take that until you see a picture of of joaquin phoenix in you know joker garb and they're like that's what that movie's about yeah yeah and and that you know it's being done right and he doesn't have damage tattooed on his face and on his forehead and he doesn't have a stupid gangster girl in his mouth I'm so glad I don't like that. Anything you said. Yeah, I'm so glad Jared Leto <laughs> is totally out of the situation now for uh, the next Suicide Squad. So, uh, anyways, uh, since we're on the topic of DC, uh, we should shift into some uh, the Batman talk. Uh, 
Uh, Robert Pattinson sure. recently came out. He's been interviewed a lot for, I know, at uh, TIFF at Inter Toronto International Film Festival. The Lighthouse was featured there. It's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of really good reviews and the staying power of that. So I'm really looking forward to that. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, once The Lighthouse comes out, I know you have some different takes on what that's going to uh, be about. Uh, but yeah, stay tuned and we'll, we'll discuss that as time gets closer. But uh, so anyways, uh, you know, shifting gears here at Toronto International Film Festival, you know, because he's up there with Willem Dafoe and, and the director for The Lighthouse. Uh, a lot of people, of course, cannot resist to ask uh, Pattinson about questions on the Batman. And I thought it was pretty cool that he received word that he got the part and he happened to be, you know, filming Tenet with uh, Christopher Nolan. And of course he took the opportunity to go talk to Nolan and get some pointers and some advice from him. So I thought that was really unique, but, but uh variety, I believe reported uh, in their interview that, you know, they asked him about, you know, the process of, of auditioning and, and just how, uh, just how crazy that is and putting under the microscope and how, um, I guess nervous he was uh, for it and the pressure that amounts to auditioning for a role such as the Batman. And, uh, you know, the news had leaked out, uh, according to Pattinson, you know, about before he even auditioned. Uh, somehow news leaked out and his team uh, that he, you know, works with him on a daily basis was kind of freaking out. He was not really too happy about it leaking out, but hey, you know, that's what happens when it comes to these roles like James Bond and the Batman and these really, really highly beloved figures, uh, things are going to leak, you know, uh, compared to Pattinson portraying a shepherd out in, you know, whatever, you know, like no one's really going to care <laughs> about that. So, uh, yeah, he was he was pretty furious, he said, uh, that this leaked out and he didn't know if that was going to hurt his chances, but you know, it's up to the director and I don't think the director really cares. And having someone like this, uh, as director and Matt Reeves, you know, he's always going to stick to his guns. So I think, uh, you know, Pattinson, he, he was pretty pissed, but I think he's, he's never really come up into something this sort of like highly franchise level. Cause he's been doing independent films for a long time. So I, he just has, to me, I, I take that as a good sign and that he has a lot of love for this character and, really 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 wanted this role and is really wanting to challenge himself in more ways than he's ever done in a film and especially for acting so i see this as a really good sign yeah my uh i mean you mentioned that my take on the lighthouse is going to be different than yours probably not um not so much i i i did watch the latest trailer that showed it uh at toronto and where you were like man this is going to be a really good movie uh, I literally laughed out loud the whole time. However, it was not like how bad this movie is. Like, I can't believe this is being done. I was laughing because it seemed like they fit in kind of like this really weird comedy bit mm -hmm. in the middle of like this psychosis that they're exhibiting. And, and it's, if I had to guess, the reason this movie is going to be good is because it's going to make you elicit a lot of emotions at all the wrong times, like for, for the movie, like it, it's, it's written in a way that is layered like that. Like they're on the surface. This is a really stupid bit. They're like sitting up like at a, like on one's on the floor and one's standing up and they mm -hmm. just go like, what, 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 what? And I'm like <laughs> laughing because it's just the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen. Yeah. But, uh, but also contextually, it's probably going to be, uh, made in a way that 
that actually is trying to make you think about like just how crazy these people are and i guess it's going to have some kind of like strange like small dosages of paranormal slash insanity elements to it and I think that the way this movie is going to shine is not necessarily on the surface. If you looked at it on the face value, it's probably not, you know, everything that you were expecting. You have to look deeper, which Mm is a pretty classic art house way of doing things. Um, But it's, uh, it's going to make you feel like, why did I just laugh at that? Right. Right. As opposed to that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So yeah, in in context, I, I think that's probably what makes it a good movie, and I I I am looking forward to seeing it. I know that when I responded to that, you were just kind of like, "What the hell?" Well, but I, I kind of like, laughed too at first, but then I watched it again, and and I know it's about like looking at, you know, these two guys are driven insane basically, and they have to live together and tend to this lighthouse, and uh, so it's going to be sort of what like an odd couple sort of dynamic, but, uh, yeah, it did kind of make me laugh at first. And I think there is going to be some inadvertently funny moments. Um, but you know, you're, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to it overall for what it, what it's designed to be. I just hope you don't kill me when we go together. And then I'm <laughs> over there like laughing my ass off, like choking on my popcorn. And you're just like, this is the most important movie of our time. <laughs> So, well, I'm not going to put it at that level. I, I, I do like look at uh, the subtleties of things, but you know, no, I, I I'm not, I'm not going to be like that uh, hoity-toity type when it comes to you know film review. No, it, it's okay if you stare daggers at me. You know, that's <laughs> that's fair. But if you okay, so that's not the only thing that's happening with Batman. Obviously, we've got some casting rumors that are coming out. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it, the rumors came out. I believe uh, the last 24, 48 hours that. Jamie Foxx and Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, Giancarlo, as a lot of people might know him uh, from Breaking Bad. Uh, so, yeah, his character is, I mean, great character actor. Uh, so they're both rumored to be auditioning right now for some unknown role or roles. I don't know if they're both auditioning for the same role or different roles for the Batman. But, you know, the only the only way I can speculate is that I think both of them are auditioning for the role of Lucius Fox, which was, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman portrayed him in the Dark Knight trilogy, which was an amazing cast. I mean, cast for every Christopher Nolan film, but especially for the Batman. That was like, that was my Batman brought to life. And I'm hoping that this one brings another element of the Batman I've always wanted from the comics brought to life and, you know, into film, which is him being the world's greatest detective and having that noir and that darkness to it. Uh, I think that's going to be achieved here, but yeah, having somebody like Jamie Foxx or Giancarlo Esposito, I could, I could definitely see both of them uh, possibly being Lucius Fox, but Jamie Foxx, I, you know, he's had some serious roles like Collateral and Ray and a few others. I, I loved him in Collateral. That was probably one of my favorite roles of his. And, uh, you know, he's a great actor. I just don't see him as Lucius Fox, whereas Giancarlo Esposito, I could definitely see him being Lucius Fox. Uh, and so I'm hoping that that is the case here, that that's what they're auditioning for and not just, you know, some other part. But having, you know, this sort of star power and these two talented, highly talented human beings auditioning for the Batman. And we've been hearing all these other rumor news like Pierce Brosnan and, you know, the whole gambit of some of the greatest actors of our time. Uh, it just gets me more and more excited for this film. Yeah, I actually explained a lot of this to uh, a buddy of mine that 
while he he really he hates all comic book movies um which understandable like if you're if you're definitely more of the i want a, a film to make me think kind of level of things mm-hmm. there're not a lot of comic book movies that do that uh he liked the batman begins trilogy the christopher nolan trilogy um and he definitely was not a fan or i guess he was a fan of that whole trilogy but he the dark knight rises is his favorite but only because of its memeability with bane um <laughs> you know I, I explained to him the plot of this movie who's up for what role uh you know who's directing it what they've directed before in reeves and uh and, and i actually got him excited which i mean you know if they can really convey all of this i'm not saying as well as me but clearly there is a way to deliver this mm-hmm. and and it's it's something that people who don't love comic book movies will probably be willing to see and uh and i'm 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 very excited about it uh you brought up collateral i couldn't help but look up michael mann's director oh yeah history one of my favorite directors uh, and uh one of the things that i thought was actually interesting was just the the weird path that Michael Mann has taken. I mean, I, now I understand like, if, if he's one of your favorite directors, I totally understand it. Um, he's had some, he's hit some stuff really on the head. Uh, obviously like he's done heat, which is one of my favorite heist movies. Um, he's done Ali. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and collateral, which was, I, I think a good movie. But then he went into like Miami Vice and like Black Hat. Like I don't. I mean, what is he? I mean, is he? Is he? Is Michael Mann okay? Do we need to actually? Do, do we need to start like a a GoFundMe to like help Michael Mann right now? Because some of the movies that he's been creating recently are just kind of not near anything that is the caliber of what he once was. Yeah, I think he's kind of in a a trough right now. He's you know he's. He had been putting out some stuff. Now, Miami Vice, that came out some years ago. That was probably mid-2000s. I actually didn't mind Miami Vice. I own that on Blu-ray and thought it was pretty good. You know, tried something a little different. Tried to make it more grounded and more, you know, realistic. Now, the TV series was edgy, but, you know, it was just kind of like how everything was at the time. You know, just kind of sure. glossed over in certain ways. And uh, But, uh, yeah, Black Hat wasn't that great. Uh, I was pretty disappointed with that. I'm hoping he kind of gets back to, you know, he's kind of like, I, I look at him and Scorsese as they're very similar in a lot of ways. And I kind of wish the two would kind of like work together on a project, like a massive, you know, gangster project or something. And each of them has, have done like, you know, gangster films. Um, and, you know, man comes from Chicago, whereas Scorsese comes from New York. So you kind of have sure. like the different mob elements and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what man's up to next, but you know, you never know, you know, he, he could come out just like with collateral that came out of nowhere and, you know, surprised everybody. I think collateral came out after Miami vice. So you never know. Um, he's always they been were right surprising. around the same time. I know that for a fact. And I know that, yeah. uh, um, well, keep going. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. But. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is though, like both him and Scorsese have, are up there in age. I think Scorsese's probably in his, I think he's in his seventies and I think man's probably in his late seventies. So it's like, they're only getting up there. And, you know, I know that for a lot of directors that are just, they eat, breathe, sleep, you know, 
the the craft of directing and you know Spielberg's always going to be that way too you know it just kind of I've seen where towards the latter years of their life they're just so devoted and and putting out high quality stuff and so like you know Scorsese with the Irishman coming out that should be really good and I'm really looking forward to that I'm hoping that maybe that will inspire man to do something but you know the Irishman's been sort of like a uh a sort of a love project for Scorsese for many years and who knows maybe man has something like that up his sleeve too right uh one would hope uh if I mean if if man does something on Netflix obviously that'll be a a big thing to report on later um but while we're in this Miami Vice thing obviously judicious use of Phil Collins during a movie um (laughs) always uh always impressive but but it wasn't uh, him it was a cover yeah, it's true. It was a cover. Um, and, and maybe that was the problem. I think it was maybe, a band called that's... Nonpoint, uh, covered in the air tonight. Yeah. <sighs> that's where you lost me then. I get if it wasn't really Phil Collins, I guess that I was just having an issue. Um, <laughs> now, what's uh, how do you feel about Colin Farrell? I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there are some movies of his that I can appreciate like his acting in mm-hmm. um, mostly in movies where the directors already like top notch, like minority report, mm-hmm. uh, like early Colin Farrell. I appreciated him because he was the antagonist and I was supposed to not like him and I already didn't like him. So that doesn't really help. Uh, my sample set's pretty narrow then. So what about you? How do you feel about Colin Farrell? Uh, you know, I had the same, it's funny. I've had, I had the same opinion of him before I saw certain films and the same opinion you have of him. Uh, you know, I, from what I knew, he was always just kind of like, you know, the typical, you know, Hollywood playboy that came from Ireland and was just always sleeping around and doing drugs and just, he would just show up to set and just be disheveled. And then all of a sudden he'd get into shape and just like, you know, he just had this star power and he'd get through it and do like an action film or something like that, whether it was SWAT or, uh, you know, Alexander or, you know, any of those other films. And yeah, he had some good acting abilities, but it was just like nothing really impressed me with him. And it wasn't until I saw In Bruges that that changed everything. Um, That's fair. That film really kind of set everything apart in terms of, his acting ability is and how intense he got and his, his character becomes suicidal throughout it because of what happened in the beginning, which if you have not seen that film listeners, definitely check out in Bruges. It's one of my favorites. Um, it, it's, it's definitely a heavy film, it is, but it, yeah. it's enough to make you, I mean, you'll watch it in the very beginning. You'll be like, Holy shit. But then the rest of it, you'll, it, he creates enough laughs with his over the top, like just Coke driven character that it's, a. Uh, it's it's fun to watch. It's I mean it's a it makes it a very interesting watch to be to be said. Yeah, and the the same uh, writer director uh, Martin McDonough, I think his his name is if I'm correct. Uh, you know, so if you if listeners if you remember uh, three billboards out of outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, that that same guy wrote and directed that film. So again, you have some darkness levels there, but you have some very rich character development. You'll have some very funny moments. So it's a lot like that, but it's basically these two Irish hitmen laying low in a town called Bruges after a botched job in London. Uh, this uh, murder of a priest that I think had some ties to, you know, 
some English mob or something like that. Uh, it went horribly wrong, uh, assassinating this guy, and so they're laying low in this town to wait further instructions. And uh, yeah, really interesting, but not to get too heavy into that, but the acting in that really just kind of stood out and jumped out at me on screen. I was like, wow, like I was just forward, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and some of the scenes that he had were how intense he was and um, all the different motions he's going through and contemplating life and all that. Uh, so that movie stood out as well as, you know, some people thought it was like a paint by numbers type film, but I really enjoyed the movie called The Recruit. Uh, I think that came out in 2002, 2003. And Colin Farrell starred opposite of uh, Al Pacino. Uh, really great, great role because there's this one scene towards the end uh, where he jumps in the car and he scares Al Pacino and and Pacino drops like this fresh uh, thing of coffee he just got, you know, waiting on him in the car. And he was like, geez, my dick's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> If we could, if we could cut that for a drop later, that'd be great. Oh, I will, I will. I, I need to start doing that of some of my most favorite films and and bits and stuff, especially uh, Anchorman and Office Space come to mind. But yeah, so you know, I thought Colin Farrell was really good in that, and that and that movie came out before in Bruges. Um, he's done a lot of good good stuff since then, a lot more um, independent films like The Lobster and things of that nature, and then he's done some other stuff like you know the Total Recall remake, which was eh, it was okay. Oh boy. You know, that was that that to me was like Colin Farrell on autopilot. But even when he's on autopilot, he's pretty good. And, you know, and then come to find out like how he is in real life. You know, he's got uh, a son with a certain, um, I think, a autistic disability. And uh, even though he's, you know, separated from the woman he had the child with, you know, he's he's changed his life around. He's not the once alcoholic, you know, drug binge person that he once was and. And he's even getting some of those crazy tattoos removed that he had. So, you know, my my opinion, and that was probably a longer answer than I should have given, but that my opinion of Colin Farrell definitely has changed because of all of that from what I've seen. But yeah, definitely agree with you because that's what I did once see him as. Okay. Well, I did not know that Colin Farrell confirmed once an ass, no longer an ass. So that's uh It's possible. People can change. It just takes a lot of work. Yeah, I was really hoping that he was actually the same kind of parent as he was an actor or that is his character in Imbruge, mm-hmm. that he was just constantly ramped up to like 11 and just like showing all the emotions all the time and probably drunk and high always. But for the kid's sake, I'm glad that he's turned it around. Yeah. Yep. So, anyway, off of that whole mess, um, <laughs> I think the last... Uh, the last thing with Batman and everything is really talking about the Joker and, uh, and their win at the Venice film festival. Yeah. They got the golden lion award, which is a very highly coveted award. You know, a lot of time, a lot of times, you know, uh, movies get screened for these film festivals, especially if they want to do a push to, you know, the people that made the movie as well as the production company, uh, really firmly believes that they could get an Oscar run. This is how you do it, you know, and to get this sort of accolade, uh, really, really puts them in the front running position for, you know, potentially best actor, potentially best drama, you know, or, or written screenplay. So who knows, you know, again, we haven't seen the movie yet, but, um, yeah, I'm really excited. This makes me even more excited for it. Uh, I know it got like a eight minute standing ovation or something like that at the end of it. And it's gotten nothing but really good reviews, but, 
um, the time that we live in, people like to poke holes or get offended at, you know, whatever's going on. So uh, what else has been happening since that has been screened there? Yeah, I think uh, they, you're right. People do like to, to poke holes in wine and, and be awful these days. And uh, I guess that a lot of people were really shitting all over this movie before it ever actually got out. Like these are people that haven't actually seen the movie. And um, so instead of like kind of holding their fire and waiting for it, they were just like really, they, they were commenting on the trailer, but they were saying, they're saying things that were, they thought were socially aware and responsible when they really just turned out to be uh, kind of ignoring the complexities of the movie itself. Um, there are a couple of people out there that were saying like, Oh, well, like he has, you know, he, ha- he doesn't have luck with women and that doesn't excuse him going off the handle. And it's like, you're right. It doesn't excuse it, but also some people are like mentally unstable and that's enough to make someone go off the handle. So have you considered that that's maybe closer to reality than is comfortable? And, you know, we, we need to take in the character in total and see kind of like how he gets as fucked up as he is throughout the entire movie and then try to, you know, square that away with our reality. And if you want to make that an argument, then you can, but don't take bits and pieces of a trailer, hack it up and then dump all over it. You know, especially when it wins an award, that doesn't exactly happen in a vacuum. So I I don't know. It's, It's just a lot of the commentary on it. Um, it doesn't really steam me too bad. Uh, I know people suck, but the uh, to go out, to kind of fly off the handle and just be, you know, oh, this is a bad movie before you've ever seen it doesn't really sound genuine to me. You know, like to question the motivations of a character that you haven't even really explored yet seems like it, it's kind of a hollow thing. And, and again, we've talked about this, like the internet bringing people in and, you know, like Twitter and everything and making all, everybody's opinion count. It's, it's a double-edged sword. So we're going to get a lot of good with the bad. And I have a feeling that this is more of the bad than the good. Yeah. And, and so I, I understand where people are coming from. I mean, obviously we've had some very horrible tragedies as of late. Uh, I mean, you just look at this year alone. I think we've had more, uh, you know, not to get too into the political aspect of it, but, you know, a tragedy is a tragedy, right? So we've had a lot right. of uh, uh, shootings and, you know, we had the horrible tragedy in Odessa a few weeks ago. Um, El and Paso. Then El Paso, uh, it just all over the, the U.S., it seems like Virginia Beach, you know, it's just and, you know, a lot of it is is because these people who are the shooters are, you know, it, that that's kind of, I think the two go hand in hand. And so a lot of people were kind of really fearful of this movie coming out because you could tell from the trailer and tell from the sneak peek that this is all going to be going into the psychosis of someone who is starting to unravel and, and lose their mind and, and have, you know, someone with mental issues and life's not going well for them. They're trying to get through it. They may not get the girl, you know, kind of like what you brought up and, and, you know, unfortunately, that's been some of the cases in some of these shooters where, you know, it's either that or they get their mind warped by certain ideologies, you know. But uh, I think mental illness is a major problem, especially in the United States as well as the world. Uh, so that's that's kind of the I, I get where they're coming from with the fear and 
the responsibility of coming out with a film like this, but I feel like it's important to come out with a film like this to show, you know, that this is a problem. You know, much like it was with, and again, not to get too political, but much like it was with, you know, females not having major roles or African Americans not having major roles in major films. But now you see films like Get Out and Us, and um, or now you know you're we're getting into Birds of Prey and we're getting into more female oriented, um, you know, films where where they they're taking the lead, and um, you know, so again, you know, if we're gonna point out that issue and make films like that, we definitely should point out and, you know, point out those kind of issues with mental illness. And yeah, I get where they're coming from. It's got to be done in a responsible way. I, again, we haven't seen the film yet. I don't know if there's going to be any gratuitous violence, but you know, people seemed like they didn't have a problem with, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and that had some (laughs) extreme gratuitous violence, especially towards the end. But, and then you look at something like John Wick and people are like, oh, it was entertaining. It was great. Oh, yeah, when he shot that guy in the face and jammed the pencil in his neck and all this stuff. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so you, you can't have one thing and not the other. you know. So if if it's something where it makes someone too unnerved to go see it, then don't go see it. you know. And that's kind of the beauty of uh, you know filmmaking. It's, it's free speech. Yeah, no, I think uh, what, what you said is good. And also the uh, we, we shouldn't be allowed – to explore the motivations of, you know, people who are unstable and that kind of thing in film. And we should be able to do that. I don't know if we necessarily celebrate it, celebrate those people. Um, And I think that that's kind of what people were worried about, you know, that were commenting on it beforehand and saying, oh, well, we shouldn't really, you know, no pun intended, lionize these people who are, you know, mentally unstable and, and really validate their reasons for being mentally unstable. But I think that what probably makes Joker a good movie, and again, we need to see it, is the fact that it can probably be taken one of several ways. It can be viewed as a kind of a a deeper dive into the motivations of these kinds of people. And, you know, depending on if it, you think it's celebrated or if it's vilified, those are probably... That what's, that's what makes a complex film is, is it is how you watch it. And just like a good book is how you read it. You know, I mean, that's the only way we're going to get there is by talking about it before, you know, moving a couple pieces around the board and then taking a shit all over the board. Right. So yeah. I think uh, th- these people may have a point, but there's no way to know that because there's no way they know that. And I think that's what that's what bothers me about kind of shooting from the hip as far as is a movie good or bad or not. Anyway, um, so that's that's my piece. I think we've we've beat that to death. Well, my uh, my uh, quick take on it, I predict that it's going to be like a cautionary tale and it's going to show that people that are having problems, you know, like, yeah, they need to go get help and, and talk to the right people. But if you know one of these type of people, don't just completely abandon them, you know? Don't so, paint their face and tell them to go fight Batman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm definitely interested. I mean, this comes out uh, early October. I'm definitely going to look at getting tickets for opening night. Uh, so it'll be Thursday evening. So if you're down for it, 
Um, I'm going to start looking at, I don't know when early tickets come on sale. Probably I would think this coming week, because usually it's a couple weeks out whenever early tickets go on sale. So sure. yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to it. Absolutely. So for those of you who aren't insane, or even for people who are, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a tile or a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. And then if you're insane, go get help. Don't paint your face or fight that man. Yeah, there are self-help books that you can uh, listen to on Audible. And definitely check that out because uh, using that, um, that link, it definitely helps us out. Uh, you know, any little bit we can get and we love audible. I love the program as well. And we're very happy to have them as a sponsor, uh, for sensibly loud radio and all of our shows. So yeah, go check it out. That'll definitely help us out along the line. And, you know, who knows, maybe that'll, uh, help us, you know, with some other new content and ideas for events that we might go to. Uh, Absolutely. but yeah, speaking of movies, we've had some, trailers come out recently uh there was a trailer for netflix film which is between two ferns which is uh zach galifianakis um i've seen a which lot of off the handle it does yeah uh it shows uh matthew mcconaughey in there and all of a sudden um you know the the fire alarm goes off and the uh sprinklers overhead and then you just see like this gigantic source of water just He's like, okay, I think it's done. And gigantic source of water just comes in like a flood. Uh, and the rest of it just looks to- totally over the top ridiculous, which is what I would want from something like that. Um, I think Maya Rudolph's in the cast and a few others. So really looking forward to that. Have you uh, seen very many episodes of Between These Two Ferns or Between Two Ferns? I've seen uh, I've seen one or two uh, quick hits on like YouTube. I haven't seen them, you know, when they were airing and everything like that. So I was a little bit late to the Between Two Ferns, uh, you know, event lifestyle, whatever. But the uh, anytime you get Zach Galifianakis involved, especially in a writing capacity, you're going to get some weird shit. Um, I and I I. I I can enjoy that kind of comedy, especially if it actually has some kind of plot to it, uh, even if it's a dumb plot. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably more in on board with a Zach Galifianakis take on comedy as opposed to like a, and I'm probably going to get just destroyed for this, but like a Tim and Eric awesome show kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there are there are enough people that are going to call in and just like rip me a new asshole for that one but um just like no man i was uh i was really enjoying that at like three in the morning you know eating pringles and getting high um but now between two ferns pretty pretty funny show and gonna make an even better movie i assume if uh if he had anything to do with writing it so yeah i i don't know that's that's uh that's gonna be something that's definitely worth checking out uh i'm liking the netflix spate of movies you know coming out here obviously the irishman is what we've talked about before but um my favorite director of all time is about to come out with another movie and that is bad boys for life oh yeah so were you a big fan of the bad boys franchise uh first one yes second one not as much Uh, okay so i I will explain real quick Mm mm-hmm Second one was 
it kind of had the diehard effect, you mm-hmm. know, where it was like, okay, the first one was great. Um, you know, the second one was, yeah, it was a bad boys movie and it was like bad boys amplified, but it just didn't do it for me as much as the first one. So the jury's out on if, uh, for me, if this will be a, you know, kind of die hard with a vengeance style mm-hmm. of, you know, like the, the real, I mean, it, it, the, the trailer doesn't make it seem that way to me. It doesn't seem like this is the one where they're like, they're coming back and it's like going for broke. It makes it seem like it's more of like a diehard four level. Like I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, it's got, uh, two great actors in, uh, in, uh, Will Smith and then Tiffany Haddish. I mean, uh, Martin Lawrence. Um, I, I think they're the exact same person. I actually do. That's my theory right now. <laughs> wow. That's a hot take. It is. They, they actually, I think that, uh, Tiffany Haddish is a more attractive, younger female version of Martin Lawrence from the nineties. Hmm. And, and I'm, I'm sticking by that. Um, if you don't like that take, please call us, you know, also, if you want to go with Brandon to a horror movie, please call us 972-885-9361. Um, yeah, no, I, I believe that for some time now that was, that was a, uh, something I was formulating for a long time. This is called the unified theory of Martin Lawrence. So we'll, uh, we'll see though. I'm, I'm sure they, their paths will diverge at some point in 20 years. Yeah. Well, and again, this is just a teaser trailer and um, you know, I I like the first two Bad Boys movies and and I think you hit it spot on in terms of Bad Boys 2 that it was very much an over the top, you know, diehard S. So it definitely upped the ante on the action. Um I know some of my friends that are, you know, really big Bad Boys fans, Bad Boys 2 for them is like everything and uh so I, I've talked to them and they're just insanely excited for this, but you know, I got to say, I wasn't really that pleased with the teaser trailer and I get, it's just a teaser trailer, but it was more of a nostalgic type of thing. And I think that's what they're going for with the teaser. Whereas the next trailer would probably be even better where we get to know a little bit more of the story. Hopefully yeah, it'll there's be, no plot here. Yeah. Hopefully it's a little more grounded, but yeah, when it got to the part in the teaser trailer with the younger cops and they're singing their rendition of bad boys, you know, the song and they're just like, he's like, Will Smith's like, that's not happening ever again, you know? And I thought that was pretty funny. So it'll be pretty interesting to see kind of how they are. And I think it'll definitely bring that sort of element that, uh, like lethal weapon four had, you know, where Danny Glover's just like, get too old for this shit, you know, and seeing them being, you know, much older, uh, you know, these, these vets that, you know, like why have they stayed on the force for this long? And, you know, or, that's just it. I couldn't really tell if they've been on the force or if they were, if one of them was brought back in, you know, you know, so it'd be interesting to see what the next trailer is. I, I wasn't again that impressed with this trailer, but it does get me excited to see those two back together. Right. No, I, uh, I agree with that. And, um, uh, you know, when I say that I, I thought the bad boys two wasn't as good as bad boys one. I, my take on it was that it was actually, it was a good, it was a cool action movie but it was also 30 minutes too long. Right. And I think that that's the only thing that killed it for me. Everything else was, was very enjoyable um, as far as, you know, bad boys is concerned, but um, 
let's see who okay so this has got the same writers mm -hmm. as before but i think it's got a different director now um because didn't michael bay do the first two i believe so yeah and so it looks like this is actually i'm sorry this is like really shitty radio i'm like finding this out right now yeah michael bay did the first two and so this is actually a different this is actually a different director what has this director done uh this is i'm gonna butcher this name adil l arby and bilal falah so um let's see hmm, never bear heard. with me no i have not all either so uh oh well uh let's see mr arby is doing beverly hill cops four or beverly hills cop four yep that's been God. announced uh-huh what has he done in the past um the only thing of any actual note is snowfall that tv series and okay. uh everything else is kind of whatever okay um, well that's that's interesting take i mean we're seeing a lot of really good talented directors that have gone from tv and um you know tv series i i know like for example uh the true detective director from the very first season is the one who's directing the current bond film uh no time to die so i think it's cool that these directors that have started either either tv or independent films are getting these major opportunities to take on you know these these big film franchises and you know give them an opportunity yeah no i'm, I'm not against giving new directors new uh a new shot uh a first shot at a big franchise um is obviously gone well before with a lot of bigger studios and their farm team. We've beat that to death, but, uh, yep. but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited. I'm just not as excited as I was for when bad boys two is coming. Out. <laughs> right. That, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so let's see what, what other films are coming out for the remainder of September? What do we got? Well, yeah. And that's the thing. We'll probably see more trailers than some of these other films coming out. So, um, I'm definitely interested seeing next weekend. Uh, so September 20th, we have two major films coming out that definitely have me excited for different reasons, but one is Rambo Last Blood, starring Sylvester yep. Stallone as Rambo, uh, John Rambo, and then we have... That's how you do a trailer, by the way, in oh, case you were wondering. The trailer was amazing, and uh, yeah. and then the other film is Ad Astra, uh, which looks like a very awesome space movie uh, featuring Brad Pitt, uh, as well as... Uh, Donald Sutherland and Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, some really, really good, um, a really great cast for that. So yeah. Uh, so let's get into this. I mean, I'm really excited to see both movies. Rambo, the, the last film that came out, I think that was just titled Rambo was good, yep. but it was very over the top and very, you know, I know it, you could tell like Stallone was just on way too many steroids at the time. Um, but this one looks really good in that they're really trying to tie into the the first two films and i think that's key for you know his sensibilities and, and the history of it and just the the trailer i know we've talked about before but just where he's on his ranch and and everything's coming down to whoever's trying to hunt him down he's ready for him he's got all these traps set up you see him running through caves and stuff very much like first blood and so definitely has my blood pumping and you know i just hope that it's really good and i hope that you know he's not i know that Sylvester Stallone isn't mailing it in because, you know, this, these are like his beloved characters between Rocky and Rambo. That's it. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably go check this out with my dad. But uh, what do you think about it? 
Yeah, I think uh, I was a huge fan of the original trilogy of Rambo. And uh, I probably watched those so much that at the time I could like quote them back, you know, for all like six words that were actually in the film. Yeah. So um, mostly grunts, uh, screaming. That was always a good one. Um, no, I joking aside, I mean, obviously, uh, first blood who's, uh, the Oscar should have gone to Brian Dennehy oh, yeah. for that. Yeah, obviously. Cause, uh, Brian Dennehy is my hero and everything he's in, but, uh, no, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's first blood was a very unique movie. Yes. Right. Yep. It was, it was, it was probably different than pretty much. I mean, it was as different as it was similar to every action movie that was coming out at the time, but it actually had a heart, which was, was pretty interesting. And uh, the next two Rambos um, didn't really have the heart, but they had the body count. And so <laughs> yeah, I guess they, they crushed it on, on that one. Um, I was actually trying to look it up. I think uh, there's Rambo and there's John Rambo, right? And then there's last blood. So we're getting kind of a, like a second trilogy thing going on. But uh, I think right. this is it's, the fifth film uh, because you had Rambo, you had uh, Last Blood, then you had, um, you know, Rambo 2 where he's in the jungle, and then um, Rambo 3 was the one where he's, <laughs> which was ridiculous. That's where it went over the top, where he gets called back in, and then it's in the desert, and he's, I think he was in the helicopter, and he was going head to head against a tank. It was just it was way over oh, yeah. the top, but you know, that was at that time in the, the late eighties, that's what everybody was calling for. But yeah, it's uh like you touched upon um, first blood. I think that's what kind of had the resonant staying power with me is that it was very different that it really looked at, you know, at that time soldiers coming back home from Vietnam and everything weren't really welcome back compared to after like post-World War two. And so you look at kind of like what we were talking about before with, uh, you know, with mental issues and, and, um, and as well as, you know, dealing with a lot of, uh, of terrible things that he went through that, that stayed with him. Um, so PTSD, you know, and so a lot of that wasn't really discussed and they see that in the film when that came out, which I think yeah. was in what, 1980 or 81, if I'm, if I'm, Somewhere around it's that time, early eighties for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you know, again, it's pointing out the issues, and so I'm I'm hoping that this movie has a lot of heart, but I just hope that it's just good. You know. Yeah, and also if I don't see someone firing an M60 from the hip, screaming while he's doing it, then I don't understand how this is a real Last Blood Rambo movie. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll I'm get hoping, some stuff. Yeah, I'm hoping that we we have. We, we have not seen that in the trailer, but they've basically like mimicked a lot of cuts from first blood and everything already. Yep. You know, obviously the, tonally that's what they're going for this time. This is, this is going to be a pretty sweet movie. So I would, I would definitely recommend seeing this. The Ad Astra thing I was kind of out on, out on mm -hmm. for a little bit because there's a lot of space movies coming out right now. Um, more on the art house side. And then like, obviously like there's some smaller things that are coming out, but, um, it seems like we're getting an, an influx of them recently. Um, the only thing that made me desperately want to go see this um, was, and this speaks to like my inner 12 year old is the uh, scene where they were kind of like racing on the surface of a planet with like moon buggies and shooting at each other. And I was like, whatever the fuck that is, I want to be in line for that. 
Yeah, that looked really awesome. And there's some other scenes where he's like falling off from uh, some scaffolding and explosion. He's like falling towards Earth's, you know, atmosphere or, you know, the gravitational pull from that. And two, you know, more than just like how amazing the special effects look, but it just looks like, uh, you know, some of the scenes where it really looks like Brad Pitt's giving it his all in terms of acting and his sensibilities there. And it looks real intense for that. And as well as the character development with his father have have gone missing and he's basically going out, uh, you know, there's just a little bit of what the synopsis is of he's having to like, not, I don't know if he's necessarily finding his father or going out towards the mission, but you know, there, there's something that was found that he's has to find. Uh, otherwise it could be at the, the stake of all humanity, you know, is at stake. And so, yeah, I just, it looks like it's going to be really intense in terms of storyline and, and character development, but as well as that amazing scene, like, I don't know what's causing the moon buggy to blow up, but it just looked really cool. So yeah, I'll probably see that movie first before Rambo last blood probably um and uh if if there's something else i can take away from the trailer is that i hope that tommy lee jones lives forever i hope he's actually immortal um because there's never been anything i've seen him in where he wasn't tommy lee jones and that's been always good enough for me yeah he's national treasure yeah 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 and uh if we need to remake under siege where he comes back in a rhinestone jacket and takes over a cruise ship i will watch that movie I will do that. I don't care if he's like a hundred years old. I will still watch that. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of weird reboots and things like that, before we go, I just want to throw out some, some great info as far as stuff that's kind of been hanging around. That's all in the rumor mill right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those is the cliffhanger reboot. Uh, we were talking about Sylvester Stallone, obviously. Um, it's supposed to be an all female cast or a female led cast, um, which whatever, that's fine. Uh, I'm sure that'll be fun. But um, the only request that I have, because I know that they're listening right now is that John Lithgow reprises his role as the antagonist. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the many reasons why the original cliffhanger was just so great, you know, and two is just, you know, Ridiculous to see what like, some of the impossible things the characters did, but him being that in that role as the uh, the nemesis was just it was awesome. Yeah, I don't know what he was channeling when he was the bad guy in Cliffhanger, but he had kind of like this this weird like uh, almost like Frasier esque, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like accent to his voice, and he he's like supposed to be this like very erudite like bad guy and everything, and yet nothing went his way. And, and it was just kind of like, it, it ended up being like a really fun character to watch for such a mediocre movie that I, I would definitely, I would hope that they at least recast that in a way that is as enjoyable as the first one. Also, I will say that I played Cliffhanger on the original Sega Genesis, and I will say that's one of the worst games I've ever played in my life. Yeah, I, I played it on Super Nintendo when it came out, and I remember renting it, and it was difficult and that was back in the day when video games were just a big pain in the ass anyways because they were so difficult you just want to slam your controller down but yeah terrible design but uh yeah yeah uh it's not really a movie that i go back to watch often um if at all i think the last time i saw it was probably in the 90s but uh so it's being announced with a female-led cast is that correct that's correct yeah, they well they they haven't come out with an actual cast yet. Okay. They just know that they want it to be a female-led movie. I think it's it's literally at pitch level 
right now. I yeah. mean, like they yeah. they're trying to they're probably trying to get funding. And they're trying to go beyond like spec script kind of stuff. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, hopefully but, they uh, make it entertaining and intense. But uh, yeah, and then there's another film that um, is being talked about as a reboot, and that is. <laughs> Uh, one of the classics of uh, the '90s, the the John Woo classic Face Off, yeah, which is maybe in the running for best movie of all time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the most interesting intro to any film I've ever seen. Yes, uh, I will. <laughs> I will say that uh, yeah, Castor Troy singing in a church choir and then like oddly groping some young woman in front of him was probably one of the best intros to any movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. I, for those of you who haven't seen a John Woo movie or haven't seen face off, but like, uh, like that kind of junk food action movies of the nineties, like what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Go pull up all of John Woo's catalog. Um, do yourself a favor, count the number of times that doves float away from in slow motion from an exploding thing, you know, with the main character in front of it. Uh, that is a John Woo bit. It happens a lot. And, uh, and you know, just go enjoy yourself. It's, yes, Face Off is a weird-ass movie. It's very strange. It has two of the most eccentric, eccentric actors from the 90s in it with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. However... If you want to see something that is wildly entertaining for all the wrong reasons, it is a great movie to sit down and watch. Yeah, they're they're so over the top. But yeah, that that's the John Woo film that I didn't mind so much. It's just eventually John Woo just kind of like got a little too much for me, especially as it got into the 2000s. And um, I think it like was paycheck. Yeah, and all paycheck. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just kind of like, OK, like it's it's now getting tired, you know, the uh, sort of the the styles that he brought to the table. Um, but, but I've heard like some of the better films he's done were like the ones that were, you know, filmed out East and they weren't even, oh, yeah. you know, English wasn't even spoken in it. And, you know, so yeah. His famous one being like hard boiled with Chiang fat and like that kind of stuff. Like right. that's, that now that is a movie that if you want to get a taste for John Woo, like in a nutshell, well, not in a nutshell, it's like a two hour movie, but, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a greatly uncondensed version of John Woo, and uh, they've got you know at the time you know there was not a lot of great gunplay going on in in movies, and there wasn't a lot of like the hardcore grit that you see now, and and like the you know jumping around and crazy like acrobatics with gunfights and that kind of stuff, and and uh, John Woo kind of brought like a I think at the time like a level of surrealism to gunfighting. And uh, in action movies and, and good, you know, I won't say good direction, but direction that was very oriented to fight scenes and good choreography there that it, it showed people uh, something in America that they hadn't really gotten a solid taste of yet. And uh, and so, yes, it does not translate well to today and do not go into these movies thinking to yourself like this is going to be some kind of like long living historic masterpiece magnum opus it's literally junk food movie but it, it does bring something that at the time was novel and and that was the kind of action and the brand of action that he brought um so things like face off broken arrow hard target um if you want to see jean-claude van damme pretending to be someone from new orleans um yeah i remember that one yeah uh 
any any of these movies are are fun and uh, also make excellent drinking game movies. Yep. But do not make a uh, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get something massively out of it. But it's it's a great movie to just set down and throw on a, like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it'll be interesting to see who they you know if, if this does continue further and they start opening up casting for the characters it'll be interesting to see who they choose there's so many different ways you could take it to it could be a comedy action i could see that being an interesting thing or uh yeah, like the starsky and hutch treatment yeah or or something like that you know or uh you know or maybe it, it will be taken more intensely and more action sci-fi-esque you know so uh we'll see what happens but uh Man, you know, we've had a really good episode today talking about a lot of stuff. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, can't wait to talk about more things uh, next week. We'll see what happens with uh, entertainment news and everything else that's going on. Thank everybody out there for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. Again, you can find us uh, at Sensibly Loud. That's on Twitter and Instagram and all the social medias. Also look for Sensibly Loud Media on Facebook. You will find all of our podcast shows, so stay tuned for all of those as well as ours. Feel free to subscribe to us. Tell your friends about us. Again, we want to hear from you guys, so get involved in the conversation. You can reach us at 972-885-9361. Leave a voicemail there of what you want to talk about, what you want us to talk about. Just feel free to reach out. You know, uh, Again, we want to hear from you guys and definitely want to have a conversation going on. Uh, Mountain Carl, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Had a lot of fun. Uh, and stay tuned for next week's episode of Sensibly Loud Radio.